Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. I look back for a second and, and just say that uh, looking at Ephesians 3.8, which is where we started, uh, we looked at this giant intention of, of God, this giant intention of Jesus, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Like, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? That the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Like, all of what God has to say to the world, uh, he's saying through his church, through his community, uh, through his people. Uh, he wants to speak to the world uh, through you. We made this audacious statement, the cosmos cannot get what God is giving unless it goes through us. And that's just from unpacking Ephesians chapter 3. God intends for the world to understand uh, who he is uh, through our actions and our activities and our way of being. And so there's probably some good questions about how good a job we're doing uh, about all of that. If people want to sort of look at our journey and look at the church uh, in this, you know, particularly critical climate. But the reality is there's, you know, even just in our own area, there's 26,000 people who are just sort of within easy driving distance of our church. Uh, who, like statistically, when you pull apart the statistics, who just have no connection to a faith community whatsoever. And, and for us, that's just kind of a, a startling number. We're here on a, a Sunday at OVV, attendance is a, a little bit low today, sometimes it's higher. We're sometimes in the 200 range, sometimes in the 100 range, uh, sort of where we want to be. But the goal is, like, we want to see 26,000 people worshiping Jesus in our community. That's an audacious goal, but that's the goal, right? That's what we exist for. That's what we're here for. Now, we as a church, Ottawa Valley Vineyard, we're not going to reach all of those 26,000, but the, the longing is, is to help as many people as we possibly can to have an encounter uh, with Jesus. And, and I think a part of that is us just realizing that importance, realizing who we are, so that we're not just viewing the church as, you know, a, a social club or a fitness club, your spiritual fitness club. This is where you come once a week and you, you do your spiritual workout and you learn a few things and you go about the rest of your week and then you work out next Sunday, right? Like, that's just not what it's meant to be. And I'm not, just want to say, I'm not meant to be your uh, personal spiritual fitness coach as a pastor, right? I clearly have other issues of fitness that to work on. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, I, 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 we want to do that. We want to provide that kind of care. We want to provide spiritual nourishment for people, but there's got to be something so much more. Uh, for us as a community. Uh, and so the purpose of this series is just to build up the church, to help you realize who you are, help you realize uh, how important you are, and, and really how beautiful you are. That's what we talked about last week. So the first week we talked about uh, you like living stones being built into a spiritual house. We looked at First Peter 2 uh, and, and thinking about this concept of the temple. The church is meant to be a place where uh, God resides. God comes and, and hangs out with us and sits in this place. He is present in his power and his beauty and his glory when we worship him. And we're here to gather and to create and facilitate that place of belonging and connection for God where we can come and meet with him. We're meant to be a spiritual house. Uh, week two, we looked at a royal priesthood. This is my cool priest guy. He's the only cool looking priest I could find on the internet. Um, and he uh, is, it, it sort of represents what we're supposed to be. Again, this is looking at the scriptures that we're meant to be priests. And I know that's a bad image for a lot of people, especially looking at some the history of the church, but, but that image is still a biblical image. We're meant to be people who have a hand on the heart of God and a hand on the hearts of people and be drawing uh, people to God. There's a, there's a connecting role that uh, 
and by priesthood. And then the image we looked at last week was the bride of Christ, wanting to see the church through the lens that Jesus sees her. Uh, as, and, this, and this image goes all the way through scriptures, but seeing his church as a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bride and his passionate love for you. He has a passionate love for his church. And our image today is the, is the body of Christ. Jesus' body, Jesus' uh, living being, his, his flesh on the earth. And that's a really important image, an image that, I mean, you try to unpack that image in the original language for body and what it means in terms of a deeply nuanced understanding of that biblical word, uh, really spending a lot of time like digging into what that means in the Greek, and it means body. <laughs> that's what it is. It's the, it's the body. Uh, and what, so what that means is that this, this community that is the church, this community of believers who are gathered here, those of you who would call yourself a part of Jesus' family, are, are meant to be, you know, the hands and the feet of Jesus, the, that thing that can have a tangible uh, impact on the world around us. We're who he moves. We're not his spirit. We're not uh, disconnected or disembodied. His spirit moves through the earth in an embodied way uh, through you. So he means to touch people. He means to affect change through you, through his people. And so, uh, you know, some questions are, how do, you, how do you view the body of Christ? You might be coming in here, might be your first time in church. How do you view the church and what it is? Uh, what does it look like to you? Do you sort of look at the church across the world and think, man, that thing is just perfect? It is fantastic. There's an image of uh, the Vitruvian man, right? The body is like this perfectly formed body that exists in the world, and it's beautiful and perfect and well-formed and buff and toned. Is that, what we, is that how we see the body of Christ? I don't think that's how we see it if we take an honest look at ourselves. <laughs> has it got a toe tag on it? Is this sucker dead? Is this thing even still alive in the world? Maybe some of us have that negative, an image of the body of Christ, right? Is it really hurting at that level? And in some cases, some communities it is. If we look at the church in North America, statistically, it's still in decline. I mean, we see lots of life, but, but maybe it's heading this way. I don't know. Or, or is it just like some assembly required? Is it just a broken thing a little bit, right? I think that's really what the church is, isn't it? It's this collection of communities that is beautiful and, and, and each piece has, has some beauty to it, but we're just not as connected as we ought to be, are we? We're just not as connected. We're not together. And so we just want to ask two questions. What does it mean to be part of the body globally? And what does it mean to be part of the body uh, locally? We're just going to start with that global uh, thing. I just want to ask you this question. How many uh, Christian don denominations do you think there are? Just shout out some numbers. How many Christian denominations? 3,000? 30,000? Any other numbers? Any guesses? So if you look at, at now, there is diversity within each major denominational group, but there are less than 90. How many of you have heard about how divided and broken and splintered the body of Christ is? And oh, what a shame it is that those Christians have no commonality between them. So if you look at the uh, Evangelical Association of Canada or the Evangelical, our Federation of Evangelical Churches in the U.S., there are 60 registered denominations that would categorize themselves as denominational. 
And if you, uh, evangelical, and then if you look at other groups, like mainline groups, uh, like Lutheran and Anglican and um, Baptist, or sorry, not Baptist, they would be considered evangelical, um, United, all of those sort of mainline denominations, there'd be about somewhere in the neighborhood of another 30 or 40. Now, within Baptist, there's a number of different groups within that category, but, but really, there, there, there's a relatively small family. I, I think that's actually not too bad for 2,000 years of church history, <laughs> right? 2,000 years of drift and splinters and conflicts and challenges, uh, that there are roughly 90 identifiable groups that would sort of uh, make up what it is to be uh, the body of Christ. Um, and every one of those groups, if you, count, if you want to count thousands of denominations, you can say that each one of those groups has their own uh, corporate structure in each country in the world. So there would be Baptists in Canada and Baptists in the U.S. and Baptists in Brazil and Baptists in Zimbabwe. But really, they're all one, one family, right? And so there's a picture of the family tree of Christian denominations in in the world. Up at the top, it's too small, you're not going to be able to read it, but just to give you an idea of what that network looks like, if you look at the top, this is Jesus' followers, and if you look on down through, you see uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and you see uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, so those are those two sort of categories on either side, and then they just sort of fill in and build out into the you know, the communities that we have. And I think actually you can, do, you can look at it in a couple of different ways. You can look at this as, man, this is a splintered, fractured, uh, difficult, awful thing. Or you can look at it and say, hey, you know what? There's some uh, beauty in the diversity of the body of Christ. There's some beauty in how diverse uh, these are. Uh, I'm planning on having a midlife crisis at some point. Is that, is, that, is that okay? And my plan for my midlife crisis is I've designed a tattoo. <laughs> I actually, actually, yeah, so I actually designed this, this tattoo. And this is what I would love to have right around my forearm sometime if I were ever to have a midlife crisis and do that, which I probably won't. And if I do, I'll probably be too broke to do it anyway, so it'll be okay. Uh, but, I, but I would love to have this tattoo with all of these different crosses from different cultures around the world, how this image has been expressed in different places and drawn by artists and unites the church, and yet there's incredible, beautiful diversity in it. Uh, I, I love the diverse, uh, beautiful church. Um, now, as you look at all of that and you look at the diversity of the church, you see some, some difficult stories there. Um, many of our denominational stories uh, represent uh, painful conflicts. Uh, what you see is sort of a zoom in of uh, a little segment of our map there. And at the top you see, you probably can't see because the print's too small, at the top you see sort of holiness churches, which were a movement that started uh, at one point in American history. And you see two red circles there. Uh, the Church of God and the Assemblies of God. And at the bottom, coming out of uh, that community of churches, is actually Vineyard Fellowship, is, which is our denomination. Uh, but uh, the, the Pentecostal movement in the beginning of the 1900s uh, actually began in the community in the church of this man named William J. Seymour, that you see on your screen. A uh, wonderful black preacher in the U.S., in California. Uh, the Holy Spirit began to move in his church and began to have incredible, beautiful things. Uh, happening there. Uh, the way he described what was happening, and this was like a new thing happening in the church. People were seeing awakening of spiritual gifts, uh, speaking in tongues. It was apparently uh, just a really wild and crazy time. And uh, I've got a little bit of Pentecostal DNA. I'm a Baptist kid who went to a Pentecostal Bible, Bible college and learned this story. But, uh, but there's some real beauty in there. One of the things William J. Seymour said was the Pentecostal 
the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. It does not bring more love. It is, if it does not bring more love, it is simply counterfeit. It's a beautiful thing, this guy said. And so you see this movement happening in the, around the turn of the century where the Holy Spirit was being poured out and love was being poured out. And into the midst of that story uh, came some white folk. <laughs> And we saw like a really a terrible story of division in that moment, in that place, where uh, the what was actually starting out as sort of a pretty mixed racially beautiful uh, community and move of the spirit is uh, a leader named Charles H. Parham with a more of a racist bent came into the midst of it and began to segregate the African Americans and the, and the uh, Caucasian Americans in that community. And ultimately we wound up with two denominations, uh, the Church of God, which, is, which was the African American Pentecostal denomination and the Assemblies of God, which is the uh, white American Pentecostal denomination. And so you see this really, really unfortunate uh, split and, and a painful split in the history of, of the church. But at the same time, God takes these two communities that were probably meant to be together and has made two beautiful communities. Uh, the Church of God in Christ is the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world with 12,000 churches just in the United States. So from that moment in 1900s, Till now, they've planted 12,000 churches in the United States and thousands and thousands more around the world. And they're bringing a beautiful, beautiful, uh, vibrant life of worship and outreach and care and mission in the places where they're called to be. A beautiful, beautiful uh, community. So what the enemy means for evil, sometimes uh, God is using for good. And he takes these uh, fractures and these splits and these wounds that have happened in the life of the church and, and so much pain and healing that needs to happen because of them. But at the same time, he takes these diverse communities and he raises them up and creates something beautiful. And so if we stand in the middle of the church and we say, hey, I have this pain, I have this uh, struggle, I see this uh, piece in history that was an ugly, painful piece in the church, just zoom way, 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 way back from God's perspective and you see this incredible cultural mosaic of beautiful communities that are still all worshiping him and loving him. We're part of a huge, diverse church. If you look just to Carlton Place, these are, uh, of, of that map, these are the denominations that are sort of represented in Carlton Place. We have Baptists and Pentecostal and Vineyard and uh, United and Roman Catholic and uh, Free Methodist and, and Brethren. All of those groups are, are represented here. And here on the map, here we are, just our little vineyard, just our little corner of the, uh, of the church world our little piece, but how many of you like really feel like you're like a dyed-in-the-wool, passionate, denominationally-oriented, focused vineyard person? Just raise your hands if you're just all about the vineyard. I'm not even all about the vineyard, and I'm the pastor, <laughs> right? I love our family, but here's, here's what I love. I love that some of you are, come from Roman Catholic backgrounds, and I love that some of you are brethren, and I love that we have uh, Christian Reformed people and Presbyterian people. OVV is not a vineyard church. We are an incredibly diverse church, and I think there's something amazing to celebrate uh, of, uh, in terms of the beauty of people having come into our spiritual family from all kinds of different spiritual families. That whole denominational thing is, is actually something that's being healed in the world. 
isn't it? The churches are working together more and more and more, and something really beautiful is happening. Uh, there's a, 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 an older uh, lady who was a Presbyterian, Scottish Presbyterian person that we knew uh, when we were a little bit younger, and uh, she, my wife's name is Anna, and she would not call Anna Anna. She would only call Anna Anne because Anna was a Catholic name, right? Those days are done, Right? God's done something amazing. Those days are done. There are churches all over the place that are full of diverse people. So here we have our Ottawa Valley Vineyard Church, or maybe we're Ottawa Valley Community Church. It's not too much difference in the logos there. We could be that. That's an expression of who we are. There's some great quotes out there. I've been in a heap of churches. There's the Nazarene Church. The Pentecostal Church, the Holy Rollers, and the Baptists. I don't know what all. I can't see much difference to nary one of them. There's a good to all of them, and there's a bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's a good and bad. This is a cool. I don't even know why I put this in. This is, I love this. Orson Scott Card. He's, just the, he's a science fiction author. Is referring to one of his characters. In fact, she's a Baptist, which is almost like being a Christian, only louder. <laughs> which I think is hilarious as a Baptist who went Pentecostal. I thought the Pentecostals were louder than the Baptists, but I guess those Baptists can be really loud. Um, here's an interesting quote from Abraham Lincoln. The more different kinds of churches we have, the better. They are all getting somebody into the church that others could not. And even with numerous divisions, we are all doing tolerably well. Thank you very much, says Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Appreciating the diversity, this man who was a, a big part of the journey of seeing an end to slavery. C.S. Lewis says this, it takes all sorts to make a world or a church. This may be even truer of the church. If grace perfects nature, it must expand all of our natures into the full richness of the diversity which God intended when he made them. And heaven will display far more variety than hell. Amen. I love that. I love that picture that we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, people gathered around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what we love. We love the beautiful church. Uh, Paul in Ephesians, and, and in terms of this, this sermon, I could have spent a lot of time in Ephesians or a lot of time in 1 Corinthians and, and unpack them all with a little bit more depth, but we're just going just gonna to touch them. But I want to just read uh, this, this text in Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one body. And he, I love how uncertain, certain he is here. I think that word is is important. There is one body. He's not saying there will be one body. He's not saying that sometime we hope to be able to call ourselves one. He's saying there is one body and one spirit. One spirit of God has created and generated one body of Christ and lives in one body of Christ. Just as you were called to one hope, and he's speaking there of the hope of the resurrection, that we all, every one of us, look back to that moment when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we look at that as our hope for the future. 
There is one Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is one faith. And that word faith there isn't just one generalized feeling of I believe in something. That word faith there is a, is a word that really, if we're going to unpack it a little bit more, refers to one doctrine or one set of beliefs that, that the, at the core of Christianity, whether you're Orthodox uh, Church or whether you're uh, Russian Orthodox, whether you're Latvian Orthodox, whether you're <laughs> whatever Orthodox you are, and whether you're Vineyard or whether you're Anglican, there are some core things uh, in the creeds of the church that we all accept, that we all believe, that we're all united around. There's one core set of beliefs in the resurrection of Jesus, his death on the cross for our sins. There's one baptism. We're all baptized into one community. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One church, and he's over it all. And, and, and I think, you know, for us, you know, we already are one body, we just have to figure out how to act like it, <laughs> right? We are one body. Uh, we are one body with the Pentecostals down the road. We've done a joint service with them. We are one body with the Free Methodist Church. We are one body with All Nations Church. We are one body with Move Church. We are one body with them. We are one thing. And I think we just got to learn how to act like it, <laughs> to take that little Lego minifigure and put them together and begin to move together, move in a coordinated way. Uh, last uh, year, I guess it was uh, in spring of 2018, Anna and I attended uh, the Canadian Church Leaders Conference in uh, Barrie, Ontario. And for us, and we, we actually were at another thing this week um, that was really a, a, a gathering of churches and leaders from all kinds of different denominations. And for us, uh, attending this thing was one of the most refreshing and beautiful gatherings that we've ever been in. We've been to vineyard gatherings and vineyard conferences for training and equipping, and they've been, they've been good and wonderful. But this is a gathering of, of Anglicans and Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians. Absolutely no discussion, no work to define and delineate. Uh, no language about that was, was anywhere near the pulpit, was anywhere near uh, the teaching time. Absolutely everybody in the place was united around the idea that we are here to reach our friends and invite them to know Jesus. This is the central story of the Christian faith. Uh, it's complicated enough. It's countercultural enough without us uh, focusing on our divisions, let's take the core of this message of Jesus, that he saved us, that he died for our sins, that there's something for us to do in accepting this incredible gift that he has. There's something for us to do in following him that unites us and calls us together and calls us to worship together. And if I look back at my worship experiences over the last two years, this is still the highlight uh, being together with this community and just pouring our hearts out with an Anglican guy over here and a Presbyterian guy over here. Worshiping Jesus, passionate that we know him and that he be known to the world. So when we think of the church as one global community uh, with one mission, amazing things happen, right? Amazing things happen. Beautiful things happen. And so I just want to call us, just for, just for a moment before we move on to the next part, we're just going to pause here for just a second and just pray. 
because I think in, in some of us there, there is, you know, uh, an angst or frustration. It's one of the pieces in, that's, that's kind of an ugly piece in the heart of the vineyard is so many of us as pastors, because vineyard is a new movement, have come out of other denominations and other communities and other uh, spiritual families. And we've come maybe out of some hurt and some, uh, some wounds. And we've come into this family uh, not liking the family we left. And I think I want us to just take a moment and pause and pray and invite the Holy Spirit uh, to just let us and help us repent of judgment and begin to bless the broader body of Christ. So let's just take a second and let me pray into that. Just bow your heads with me. Uh, Father, we uh, step way, way back. We've come from so many different places, so many different communities, denominations, backgrounds, um, and there's so much to learn from them and there's so much not to learn from them. Uh, we want to have our heads screwed on straight about all of that. But Lord, we want to step back and see your body for who it is. We want to recognize the beauty and diversity that there is. We recognize the beauty of the Pentecostal movement. We recognize the beauty of the Holy Spirit flowing uh, in the early days of the vineyard. We recognize the beauty of some of the liturgy we see and some of the patterns of worship that, that can be appreciated by our Anglican friends. We see the beauty of the passion uh, for a strong and healthy uh, theology in that of our Christian Reformed friends. We see the beauty of a love for the scriptures that our brethren friends bring to us. So much beauty, Father, and we just ask that as we as a church continue to grow, that all of that that is from you would become a part of us, that we here at OVV would uh, be uh, a community that's seeking you, that's following you, that's united, that's welcoming, and that respects your broader body. So we repent of our judgments and our criticisms, and uh, we say we love your church. We love your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 There, there's these times when you have uh, gatherings uh, of people who are in worshiping Jesus from all different perspectives, all focused all in one place, and it's incredible. Um, the next question is, what does it mean to be part of the church locally? What does it mean to be part of this body? What does it mean to be part of our family? Um, and I want to look at the, this text in 1 Corinthians. It's a bit more to read, but hang with me. We're just going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, to 21. And we could go further in Corinthians. This probably could be a series on this whole thing, but uh, I just want us to read this a little bit. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. I love that. Um, for the body does not consist of one member out of many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And I want to just pull a few highlights just, just from this text. Um, first, I want to just jump to uh, verse uh, 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Just a really key thought there is, uh, regardless of how you feel you belong, uh, you are a part of the body whether you think you belong or not. You are a part of the body whether you feel like you fit, whether you think you fit, whether you know you fit, whether you know your place or not. When God looks at you, and you may be on the outside of you, this may be your first Sunday here, uh, you may be involved just a little bit in the life of the church, you may be involved a lot in the life of the church, you may be a leader, you may uh, make the coffee, you may, do, you, may do, you may pray for the community, who knows what your role is, you may do nothing at all, but if you're here and you're gathered, you are a part of a body, you are connected to something that is moving, you are connected to something that is going somewhere. If you're a part of the church, you're going somewhere. God has a plan for you. Now, what often happens, how many of you, have anybody ever had like your hand fall asleep or your leg fall asleep? It gets all tingly and numb and you can't move it. Some, some of you are just asleep. <laughs> some of you are just asleep. Some of you got pins and needles and you're not moving yet. But the Lord is like taking you as you come week after week in this community and as you worship with us, I can just see the Lord taking that hand that's fallen asleep and saying, we're just going to wake that thing up. We're just going to wake that hand up and we're going to get it moving with the body. We're going to get this thing moving with the body. And that, if you're here this morning, that's my great prayer for you, is that the Holy Spirit is beginning to wake you up. When we look at this task of trying to reach uh, 26,000 people, we need the whole body to be wide awake. Wake up! <laughs> right? We need to be awake. We need to be alive. We need to be moving. God is calling you into something that you have gifts, you have purpose, you have form, you have function, you belong. And that's the next thought in this thing. Uh, like if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The piece that you have to contribute to the body of Christ is a significant piece. That's a gross piece right there. That's your uh, uvula. That's this guy right here at the back of your throat. Anybody think they might be the uvula of the body of Christ? <laughs> right? Like, but that's a really cool part. Do you know about the uvula and what it does? Like when you eat, that's so food doesn't go back up your nose. That's a good, that's part of what it does. How many of you like, like, like have you ever done that? Like you sort of like, while you're eating and you've had like, how many of you ever laughed at the dinner table and had milk go out your nose? Your uvula wasn't working at that moment is what I'm saying, right? So you might be this part that is like, I don't know like where I fit. I don't know where I belong. Like what the heck is that thing for? It's not attractive. It's not something you show to all your friends. Like, hey, anybody take a selfie like this? 
right? That's not a part of us that we uh, really focus on and enjoy. But do you know that that thing produces enough saliva to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools over the course of your life? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> that thing, like, like, it produces something that helps you eat and live and function and breathe. That's an important part. You need that sucker. Some of you, we need you. You don't know that you have a function. You don't know that you belong. But you belong. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Uh, so God, you know, and, and have you ever seen a conversation between two ears? Like nothing's happening. Right? We need this incredible diversity of parts of us working together. And, and we've all been given gifts. And that's the context for this in 1 Corinthians is Paul is talking about all of the gifts that we have. There are apostles and prophets and teachers. Uh, this is really just a preamble to the series that we're going to do on spiritual gifts in January. Uh, but you have incredible, beautiful parts. What about um, the armpit? How many of you think you're the armpit of the body of Christ? Do you know how important the armpit is? Your armpit is really, really important, right? One, it's if, I'm sorry, ladies, if you shave your armpits, you're making a mistake. I'm just throwing that out there. Because that, that, that hair that's in there, when you, it keeps from the chafing. It stops the chafing, right? It's a mechanical lubricant. It's an important part there. And you, if you have a really big hairy armpit, you're probably a much more comfortable person. It's also <laughs> a, a very valuable heat sink. Right? So when you are hot and you just kind of, you know, how many of you when you're hot, you, you don't sit down like this, you just kind of like, yeah, because you're letting a little airflow happen there, right? Because it increases the surface area and the sweat that's coming uh, from your armpit has somewhere to go and to dry off. It works. It's helpful. And, and there's another really important function for this. This is something for you guys who are in your 20-somethings, is that your armpit is a really important part of dispersing your odor and your smell to make it so you may attract a mate. <laughs> right? That's what it's for. If you aren't having troubles getting a date, like stop with the deodorant. I'm just saying. And just walk like this. Just, hey, baby, how are you? Right? Come on. Okay, that might not be the best strategy. It can get a little funky. It can get a little funky. But your body has, has parts. And some of us, like, I mean, we're having fun here, but there are some of us and this is the truth. You know, he started out the book of Corinthians saying, you know, not many of you are of noble birth. He's talking to a community of people that are insecure about what they can cont contribute. If you're here and you're insecure about what you can contribute to the life of Jesus' community, what we're going to be talking about in the spiritual gifts series in January is that every single person God ordains to give gifts to that the body desperately needs. You are needed. The peace that you have is needed. The peace that God wants to pour out into your life is valuable. He loves you. He made you. He cares for you. He called you to be part of this community. Uh, the, if you want to take one phrase to sum up this whole passage... What Paul wants people to know is that you are indispensable. You cannot be dispensed with. Listen, there's a whole pile of things that you can bring towards this task of reaching 26,000 people. 
One, some of you might wonder, is my presence significant? Like, is, does it matter if I show up? Let me tell you, your presence when we worship and we gather is significant. Uh, even just, like, this, here's a Sunday where attendance is relatively low, and we have this section of seats over here where, I don't know, maybe somebody let one go over in that section at one time. I don't know. But nobody is sitting there. Like, it's valuable for you to come next week with the other people who aren't here this week who should be here and to have everybody here. Because there's beauty when the community of God gathers. Doesn't it just feel better when everybody's here? Like, doesn't it feel better when everybody's here? When the whole community is gathered in worship? When we come and the band leads and we sing and we raise our hands and we worship God and we begin to praise Him. Hearing voices gathered around us, close and beautiful and singing loud, uh, provides tremendous encouragement. It's encouraging when the whole body is gathered. You need to bring your presence. Uh, there are other things that you contribute that you might not think is significant. You might pray for people in this church every single day and nobody knows about it. Maybe nobody knows about it, but when we baptized, listen to the, the connection between prayer and what happens in this community. When we baptized six people last week, that would not have happened without those of you who are on your knees for this church every single morning when you get up. Those people would not have given their lives to Jesus. We don't know the connections. We can't see it. It's mysterious. But we are all part of one Holy Spirit. And when we cry out to him and when we pray for the few that gather for pre-service prayer and more should be invited, like if you're here on Sunday mornings uh, and you can get here half an hour early to pray with Rona and Jeff and others who gather, um, that's where, in that space with those people praying, that's when the baptism happened. In that room with those people praying is when the baptism happened. It's your prayers that matter. And so if you're just a quiet prayer warrior and nobody knows what you're doing, it's indispensable. Now, there's some, one person that I watch uh, almost every week when they're here, when they're able. There's, when we often walk into the school, there's a, there's a pile of clutter on some of those window ledges. And I see somebody will, who will take kids' lunch bags and mitts and stuff, and they'll just sort of, if they're there, they'll just kind of tidy them up and like put them from chaos to order. It's a tiny, tiny little thing, reducing a tiny little bit of visual distraction in this place that we rent where we don't have control. That makes a difference. Uh, if you can contribute a significant amount of money or just a little bit amount of money uh, to enable to further the ministries that we're doing, whatever that little piece that you're able to contribute or whatever that big piece that you're able to contribute, it's significant what it does. Uh, we are able to organize groups to go and work in the food bank. We are able to support our missionaries, Don Elizabeth Cantel, who are in Mozambique, who are caring uh, for children who have no food. They do Christmas dinner for almost a thousand children now every Christmas who come in from the villages. And they give them a gift and they care for them. And they're drilling wells and they're preaching the gospel. 
Well, that's that little bit of money that you have that you can contribute. The Lord wants to wake up those gifts, and you need to know that they're significant. Uh, your voice here on Sunday morning when you're singing, a little bit of tone coming into the ear of the person beside you is life and encouragement. Whatever peace it is that you have, some of you have spiritual gifts that we have no, about, no idea about. Some of you have prophetic gifts. Some of you have gifts that are uh, gifts of evangelism that aren't being used. Some of you have gifts to care for others with a pastoral heart that aren't being used. Uh, there's, there's a huge, huge... We're going to talk about this next year in January. But we need to awaken and enliven the incredible gifts that you have and get everybody functioning, get everybody going, because we have to reach 26,000. And we can't do it if you hold on to the little piece that you have. We can't do it if you doubt that it has any value. We can only do it if you say, hey, this is a thing that God gave me, and I'm going to just give it to the king and the kingdom. Don't think it's too small. Now, some of you are too bad to sing on the worship team. Our places are assigned by God, right? I promise you, you do not want me anywhere near the accounting department in a church. I don't do numbers well and details well. Not my gift, not my strength. But you have gifts, and I promise you there's a place for them. You have a purpose don't let yourself be looking at the church on the outside looking in or a non-participant or an arm or a leg that's fallen asleep. Begin to massage it. Begin to dream. Begin to wonder. Begin to think, how can God use me? How can God wake me up? How can God cause me to contribute to the kingdom? Come to a home church and try out your gifts praying for people. Come to a home church and try out your gifts uh, studying uh, the scriptures as we have discussions about uh, the, the word when we're gathered in home churches. Whatever it is, begin to exercise, begin to move it, begin to massage it, and let's cause the body of Christ to wake up. There's a job that we have to do. We need to be his hands and feet as we reach 26,000 that don't know him. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.